You're listening to This Naked Mind with Annie Gross. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. And I'm here with Soraya. Hi, how are you? Hi, Annie. I'm good. How are you doing? So good. Good to see you. So, why don't you sort of take us back to the beginning in your journey with alcohol? Where did it all start for you? Oh, yeah. Where did it all start? Um, Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I feel like it's it's important to me, especially with like the work that I've done and been doing to like talk about my parents before I talk about me because it feels super important. And so my parents met in the seventies in the Midwest in like a suburb in of Chicago. My father had moved, uh, his family had immigrated from Iraq and my mom was born in LaSalle, Illinois, which is a very tiny town in Illinois. And she's the oldest of five sisters and they met at a party in the seventies. They fell in love, all the things. My dad wanted to move to New York city. My mom wanted to stay because all of her sisters were staying and building families in the Midwest, but he really wanted to go. So she was the only sister that left and moved to New York city in like, it was probably the late seventies then. And so I was born in the eighties. My sister, well, my sister was born in 1980. I was born in 1984 in New York. And that kind of lays the context a little bit for like little me coming into the world. Um, and, you know, my parents, my mom was a nurse. My dad was an elementary school teacher and they both were obviously, you know, getting used to the, to life in New York. And, it, and they were both working class. New York was a little different in the eighties than it is now. And probably since you live there, Annie, but, and it's probably changed a ton since you lived there too, because it's just been probably. changing like crazy of like, it's unrecognizable to me now, honestly. So they were working all the time. We were growing up. It was super overwhelming. Like I remember being like five or six and going to kindergarten or first grade and having to take a test and just immediately kind of being aware of like people tracking me or like almost like what, where, like, what do your parents do? And you know, how smart are you here? And who is your family? And da, 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 da. there was like a status thing instantly that I, that I was aware of. And so I remember feeling like I couldn't really talk about it because my parents weren't very emotionally available. And that like my environment was, a, was affecting me pretty intensely from that early on. And, and that feels important to mention because by the time I was 13. Um, you know, my, as I've said, my parents were working all the time. We didn't really grow up with a ton of rules. And it was like, the city was just out there and it was like, go out and play, go out and meet your friends, go out and, you know, do whatever. It's like, my parents were not tracking me. Um, and God bless them. I love them. Like, no, no, like my parents are the, you know, but there, there's, there's some, there's some connections there that are important to make. So, you know, I remember when I, when I first got introduced to substances, I got introduced to marijuana because marijuana was like the thing here. And I hated pot. I hated it. And I just kept smoking it because that's what everybody did. And I really wanted to fit in and all the things and alcohol was there. Like alcohol was in the mix, but it, it, it didn't, it didn't really entice me. It was like, 
everyone's smoking pot and everyone's hanging out and everyone's like pretending they're having these spiritual experiences at 14 and like Central Park. And we think we're in the center of the universe because we kind of are, but we like are so insecure and we're kids and we're just like trying to seem older than we are. And it's, you know, just like kind of the blind leading the blind, which I'm sure all teenagers feel this way, but it was like, I wasn't getting a ton of guidance from home. And so I was looking for guidance in my friends, which I think happens pretty naturally to humans. And I shouldn't have been getting guidance. And I shouldn't, okay, we hate that word, but I, I, I shouldn't have been looking up to my friends. Like my friends didn't know what, what I needed. They could barely figure out what they needed. So we were figuring it out together. And by the time it was like, I was graduating from high school. I graduated when I was 17. I I needed to come out. So coming out was essential. And I definitely didn't feel like I was totally ready to come out to my parents, even though it was like, I felt like they knew, but I had to tell them, but they, you know, we didn't talk about our feelings. We really didn't talk about our feelings, which is just so crazy because if you know me to any degree, you're starting to get to know me better, Annie. Like all I, all I do is like process emotion and like think about my emotional state. So, and because I also know my emotional state is literally the reason and the motivation that I do everything. I didn't know that then. So I was coming out and as I was coming out, I, alcohol was like the thing. It was like, okay, we're going to go to the bar we're going to go to the club. We're going to go to the party. We'll get you a fake ID. And I mean, I didn't really need one, but it, but it was like, you're going to start drinking. And I remember this was like 18, 19, 20. I was, I was, I, my roommate was a big drinker and I wasn't yet. And I remember her being like, I'm going to teach you how to drink. And I didn't know what that meant. I was like, what do you mean teach me how to drink? And it's kind of similar to learning how to smoke because I remember when I was a smoker, I learned how to smoke cigarettes. Like they weren't, they weren't, it was like the most disgusting thing. And it was like, okay, we're going to practice. Okay. We're going to practice. And so I kind of remember those years as like my, I was practicing becoming a drinker without even being conscious of it. Like that's just what we were doing. And, and I learned slowly that I was like, oh, I do need to learn how to drink like her so that I can stay out at the party, you know, with all the gay people so I can meet people and like hang, you know? So I just remember that that was, that was the kind of like gateway into alcohol for me. It was like the gay scene, New York City, early 2000s, the, you know, the bars and it was every night. It was like, you'd go to work and every night there was a party. And it was like all the years that I had spent in the closet, which was like, I was in the closet, but like, I wasn't because I was still having relationships with women. They were just in secret. Right. So like a lot of my expression, like my authentic expression and creative expression, sexual expression was coming out in secret. And that also feels really important to share because there's nothing more sad than learning how to express yourself in secret. Like that just is painful to even say. And that was also like the learning, right? The conditions, like I was learning from those conditions. And so alcohol, as I was, as I was coming out, 
it was like, oh, we can kind of do this in public, but we're like in a bar, but like we're kind of in public and this is so exciting, but I'm so nervous. Like, get me a drink, get me a drink. Like, and so that just, it was just so natural. And, um, all of this is happening. I come out to my parents. My parents are still, I, I know I'm painting them in this interesting picture that I'm sure I'm going to look back later and be like, huh, that was interesting, but they are still super busy. I just, I come out to them. They're sort of like, sort of affected by it. They are like, kind of neither here nor there. They're pretty much, my mom was always like pretty focused on my dad because my dad was also a drinker and he was pretty narcissistic and pretty into himself. And that was just the kind of, that was just the kind of like house I grew up in. And so I didn't feel like I could really express my authentic self at home and I couldn't really express my authentic self in the world. So it's like that, you know, like the volleyball was getting pushed down in all kinds of areas. And then I could go kind of secretly find my, where I could plug myself in and express. And when that started to happen, it also, that started to happen directly with alcohol. So when I turned 21, both of my parents retired and they decided to move to California, which was a really far jump. And my, my father didn't want to live in New York if he couldn't live in Manhattan and they couldn't afford to live in Manhattan. And we tried to convince him to move to Brooklyn, but he didn't want that. If he couldn't live in Manhattan, he couldn't live in New York. And so they moved to California. And that event was so hard for me for so many reasons. My, the, the, the house I grew up in, my room as a kid, like growing up, like, like all of my memories, like were gone because, you know, they had rented our apartment. So we, you know, we didn't own it. And so they left and my emotions were so intense. Like even talking about it now, I, I didn't know how to deal with the feelings at all. Like I had no tools. And so I remember I had dinner with them and my sister that night, I cried a lot. I came back to Brooklyn and I drank and I found cocaine, like, and I went to party every night and I just kind of like, um, it it was like a sped up addiction spiral. And a lot of it, cocaine kind of, um, Cocaine definitely like sped, sped everything up, but I ended up entering rehab when I was 23. And so I was in, (laughs) I was in the rehab, I was in the rehab world and then rehab kind of spit me directly into 12 steps in AA. And for me, when I walked into AA as a 23 year old, I walked into a church basement in North Brooklyn, uh, 15 years ago. And People were talking about their feelings. People were welcoming me. It was like, you have a disease. If I say I have a disease, I can be here. I definitely have a disease. If that means that I can get in, I have one. And I believed it. And the power of hearing people talk about their feelings for the first time when I, I, I mean, it sounds crazy, but it had just never, I'd never had that reference for for any environment that I had been in, probably, probably the closest thing was school. Like when we were, when we were presenting, 
you know, different, uh, different projects and people got vulnerable or got kind of choked up, I'd be like, oh, that, like, what's that? Because I had no relationship to it. So I, AA was, AA totally saved my life in that moment of my life. And it taught me all the things that I needed to learn. Like as a human at 23, when my parents couldn't be there because they weren't there. And I was mentored luckily by incredible women that were all older than me. And, um, and I, I kind of grew up as an adult in that program. And simultaneously, when my parents moved to California, when I was 21, by the time I was 23, my mom got sick with cancer. And then my dad got sick directly after her. So I mean, even saying that too, I'm like, I don't even know how. So it felt like the the spiritual component to that for me was like, I cannot not be here for this. Like, it was like, I'm getting sober. I'm learning about this power greater than myself. I also didn't grow up with organized religion. So I didn't have that, like, I didn't have anything negative. I was like, God, yes, I feel it. I know it. I it's palpable. Like, give it to me. Like I was, I was ready for it and, and I needed it. And I don't, I don't have a, a ton of negative connotations. So that that's just my personal story, but it felt like a aha moment. And I was able to be there for them. My mom ended up, my mom ended up healing pretty quickly. And my father was the one who got sicker and sicker. And because my mom was a nurse, she was able to take care of him. But those years from early recovery in AA to him passing when I was 25 were hard and I and I couldn't have done it without being sober and that community and all the things and I'm and I'm forever grateful. So that's that's that section. <laughs> um that's that all happens. My father passes. It's very like the grief of that has been ongoing. It's it and and I wanted and I wanted to say this too be, because I do think that so, everything changed so much after that that there was so much grief and there was also a tremendous amount of relief because of how much pain he was in and also how much pain he had been kind of inadvertently causing my mom, which didn't come out until later. And my mom was like, all of a sudden this like free agent and like, just became like for the first time in her, in her life became like fully able to just do all the things she wanted to do. And so it was this weird blessing and also this total tragedy. So so that all happens. I'm, I'm doing all the things I'm, I'm living and I'm growing. I meet somebody in recovery in AA who I meet them almost pretty closely to when my father passes, like almost, almost, uh, like months apart. And, um, I'm fully, you know, I'm fully in the program. I'm going, I'm going to meetings every day. I'm sponsoring people. I'm being sponsored. I'm doing all the things this person that I start dating is a drinker. And, and this is, this is kind of where like I had been sober in the rooms of AA, but I was also a bartender. I was also working in restaurants. I was always around booze serving, serving it. Um, no, no desire to drink it, uh, because I, I can't drink it. So there, there wasn't a desire to drink it because I can't drink it because I have a disease. Everyone that was around me was a drinker. And because of the, the kind of like 
what I had believed about myself that I had a disease and all these other people didn't unless they realized they did. And then they come to meetings and then we can talk about it. I didn't question anybody else's drinking ever. I was just like, oh yeah, you drink, you know, drinking every day or you were doing this or whatever. Like I net, I, I had no, um, like sensitivity or, or, uh, boundary with it. I was just like, I know what it is for me. And if, if it even seemed like a problem for somebody else or for the, the person that I was with at that time, I just, I just denied it because it was almost part of the psychology of what the program did to my specific brain. I'm not saying it does that to everybody at all. And so fast forward to 28, the relationship is not going well. I need to get out of it. And I can't, I can't get out of it. I can't, I can't leave Uh, there. It's just not on the table. I think with all of my just all of the conditions of my life, which I'm trying to paint well in this story, I had abandonment issues. And I was like, I love you. Like, I don't care if this is not working. (laughs) Like, it was just like, it's fine. I'll stay. So AA, at the same time, AA for me had become sort of like, I hadn't learned anything in a long time. I was going back to meetings saying I was an, I was alcoholic, but I didn't believe it because I would just be like, I'm four years, I'm four years, five years. Like I'm an alcoholic. Okay, guys, like, fine. I'm appeasing you. But I didn't believe that. I was like, that's just not true. Um, So I was growing. I was growing away from the program. I was, I was just growing up. I was growing out of it. And I say that it had a glass ceiling for me just simply because I wasn't learning anything anymore. And if you're not learning, you're not growing. And I felt bad about that. And so I used it as a way to feel bad instead of using it as a way to be like, oh yeah, like maybe this doesn't work for you. Like I just didn't. So anyway, so I made a decision with my partner when I was going to stay because she was drinking a lot that I was going to try it again. I mean, I had been sober for almost six years and AA wasn't really working for me anymore. I was like, you know, let's, let's do it. And I wasn't conscious of why I was like, yeah, why not? Come on. Life has been so stressful. We had just gone through a stressful time. Like we, a very close friend of mine had passed away, not alcohol related at all, something totally else. And it was a, it was just a very, very hard time. And it was like, why not? Why can't I just try it? I'm clearly not an alcoholic. So I remember the first drink I had was in Mexico when we were on a vacation and it was like an open bar. It was like an all-inclusive thing. And I was like, yeah, it's all-inclusive. It's all, it's free. So I went and I ordered, I hadn't had a drink in six years or almost six years. And I went and I ordered a Bloody Mary at the bar, like who, like a Bloody Mary, you know, and the, like the blazing hot 90 degree sun in Tulum. And I was just like, yeah, I'll have that drink. And I remember the bartender being like, okay, like, that's fine. You know, kind of like judging me. And I'm sure it was all me, but I didn't know what to order. That's like the fun. That's the funny piece. Like I had no idea because I wasn't someone who drank. So I remember I had the drink and it was one of those moments that was just like, oh, like, okay. Like, you know, everything slowed down and I was kind of confused and everything was somehow a little bit okay, even though it wasn't okay. Like nothing was okay at that time. Like I was in a relationship with someone I needed to get, I needed to get out of a relationship with that wasn't going to change, 
but I thought drinking might help it change, which of course it didn't. So the, the next years to follow, I, I drank alcohol. Like I was someone that was in the hospitality industry that, you know, had never had a glass of wine before. Like the last drinks I had had when I was in my early twenties was like whiskey, Cokes and shots of tequila. I, I had none of that tantalizing, like wine with dinner. Like, have you tried this craft beer that was made in the Alps of the, you know, it, and it was like all the romanticization of this is so sexy. This is this. And, you know, and I was like, oh, wow. And I consumed and consumed and consumed with a brain full of, tw- of 12 steps in my head too, which I mean, just consume more, consume more. Like I just was trying to quiet it all and shut it all up. And, and did it make it like a lot more cognitive dissonance because of that? Like, did you have a lot more like guilt or shame or I shouldn't be doing that? Or what do you mean by like a brain full of 12 steps? Well, yeah, it was like, that's a great question. It was like, when I would, because I had been someone that was an AA for a while, I would have to like introduce to people that I was drinking again. And so there was like that, there was that piece. And, and so I'd be like me kind of codependently sort of worried about them. And then, you know, thinking that they were like watching me or checking on me. And then it would just be like, my prefrontal cortex would be so numb that I would completely forget about that. And then it would just be like off to the races and drinking a ton and not having any cognitive dissonance until the next morning when I would be trying to remember everything that happened and like, oh my God, did I this or did I that? And oh my God, should I go back to meetings? And oh my God, like maybe I do have a disease. So yeah, it was, it was kind of like, as I'm piecing it together in in some ways, as I'm telling you right now, it, it was like the very thing that reached for the Bloody Mary was cognitive dissonance in a way, because it was like, I need to get out of this relationship, but I can't like right there is cognitive dissonance. So, so it was like the, the solving of that problem, we all know what needed to happen, but instead I took three years off of making that decision and drank with that person. And when that relationship ended, it was horrible. Like it was chaos. And I don't have a lot of regrets in my life. Um, but there's there's like a couple that are close to like possibly. I mean, it's all, it was all worth it, every second of it. But like, whoa, when I look back, I'm like, oh, I could have, I, I drank, I drank, I drank from a place of pure stress and anxiety. And like, I, I am trapped. Give me the drink now. Like I am trapped. Give me the drink. So, and I feel like I was just talking to another, another coach about this yesterday. And we were talking about this feeling of, yeah, it's like that belief in your mind where you're like, I can't do this. Like there's a thing I have to do and I can't do it. And that thought and belief is what reached for the drink every time, even from, even from like 13, when I was like drinking forties in in the park, like it was like, I can't connect with these people. Give me, give me the drink. Did that answer your question? Yeah, that's really interesting. So, so yeah. So, so then the relationship 
uh, ended ended badly, like badly in the way that it's it's you know not loving, which we never want that to happen. But that's very much what happened. And then I was by myself, addicted to alcohol, you know, like physiologically and mentally and emotionally and psychically. And there was no one there. It was just me. And so everything got real, real clear and real dark quickly because I had no distraction from myself. And so I was doing things like if I, like that was when like drinking in the morning was actually on the table because, because nobody was going to check me. And I definitely wasn't going to check me because all my check systems were off to the races. Like they, they were like, I didn't trust myself. I had completely lost, lost trust with myself. I didn't want to be alone. But then when I would feel like I didn't want to be alone, I would drink. And then I would somehow feel like it was okay. And the cycle was just like what you write about in this naked mind. This is like perfect segue because this, this is actually chronologically what gets me to this moment in time right now. It was the same thing on repeat over and over and over again. And I couldn't understand. I was like, what the hell has happened? Like, how did this happen? How is this happening? How am I going and reaching for this drink? And the same day is happening. And I'm waking up and the same day is happening. And it was, it was one of the most, I mean, I was alone. And this is another thing is like, I'm a very spiritual person. And one of the things that I've realized that on this journey thus far in this body, probably for, you know, uh, like many times over, I'm learning this lesson. So much of my spiritual path has been directly connected to relationship and being in relationship and the ability that like intimacy has to get to like my deepest core wounds, like instantly. And when I look at my life, it's, it's like relationships ending and beginning are kind of these, like these milestones for where these, these really big growth, growth periods have happened. And I, and the relationship I'm in now is like the most ideal version for me because of how ideal the version of myself is inside of me. Like I have given myself the opportunity to experience love in this way that I never thought was possible. And that's because I was able to see how harmful my relationship with alcohol was and how directly linked it was to all of these earlier moments that I've tried to explain in this, in this beautiful podcast we're recording, like where I, where I was like, you're going to leave me. You can't leave me, you know, to the, to the point where it's like, I'm going to come get me. And I, and once I get me, hopefully somebody will be there that'll get me too. But I had to get to that place where it was like, I couldn't be in a relationship anymore. Like I had to sit with all of this stuff that was, you know, just bubbling in me. And so as the, the, you know, uh, Groundhog Day was happening with booze and, you know, it went on for too long. I'll just say that it went on for too long. It, I feel like everybody who's been through this probably feels that way to some degree. And I, and in my mind, I was like, 
okay, I guess I could go back to AA. You know, there's nowhere else. Like I'm going to go back and I'm going to try, right? Like I'm not putting alcohol in my system anymore, but I am not free. Like I am, I am thinking about it or I'm, I'm feeling like angry at other people. Like my mind is, is not free. My spirit is not free. So I went back, I tried to go back to AA and I literally felt again, if you're in AA, I love AA. This was my personal experience. I don't go to AA anymore, but I'm an advocate of it. And I have like a client right now who just stopped working with me. Who's now going to meetings sometimes because she likes them and I'm all about it. Like she loves it. So again, nothing bad about it. it. It's been a huge part of my story, but I went back to an AA meeting during this time and I felt like I was walking into a rerun of my life. I was like, wait a minute. Like, I know that woman, like I've heard her story. Like she's telling the same story. Like I've heard this story. And I was like, this is not it. Like, I can't, I, I, I can't. There's nothing new for me here. There's nothing. This isn't meeting me where I've grown to. Like, it's just not like, and I, and I was, it was scary because I didn't know how to get free. So I started reading and I started reading science books. I started reading Quitlet books. Quitlet mixed with science is kind of my, my jam. I, I love Mark Lewis. The biology of desire is I think one of the best books that has ever been written on addiction. And like my personal experience of like the human never stops growing. So the addiction grows with the human and that like, we're not, there's like nothing wrong with us. This, this new science of addiction that Annie Grace who's sitting right in front of me is also like a a mother founding mother of this. Like it is like, there is nothing wrong with you at all. Like Given my circumstances, of course this happened. Of course this happened. If you were watching the movie of my life, the second I would like when I got to the drinking in the closet alone, you would have understood why I got there. Like every step of the way, you would have been like, yep, I get it. Like that's really hard, but I totally understand that. I can see why. And so this was a new, this was a new like neural pathway, but also just a new way of experiencing myself because I had been. I had put so much shame on myself for having a disease. Like I, and I didn't even realize how that, how that had happened. Like, and it's like, well, you keep going to these meetings. You keep saying these things, you're teaching your brain this thing and you're believing it. And so you feel really bad about yourself and that, and that's what happened. So I eventually found this naked mind the book, uh, which is the best comprehensive, like new modern guide to recovery from alcohol, to become liberated and alcohol free, which was something I was not until I read your book. And then I, I completely consumed all things Annie Grace because I was like, this person is doing the, is, is changing my brain. This is what I needed. I needed to go to the, go back to the church basement and find you there being like, okay. And now like this lesson, now we're going to learn about this. Like, that's what that's what I needed. And so I was so grateful as I'm still so grateful as you can hear in my voice, um, because I needed to learn the way that I learned how to drink. Remember with the roommate in 1819 coming out, I had to, I had to learn about alcohol. I had to learn about the substance. I had to learn about the conditions of the culture that I grew up in. I had to learn 
about what my parents were going through, you know, which also I've found some of my current teachers through studying with Annie, who are Gabor Mate, who's like had a huge influence on healing trauma in my life. And also Dick Schwartz, who is the leader of IFS, Internal Family Systems, which is the one of the best forms of therapy I've ever used on myself and with people. And it it was it was like having an approach with myself that was not harmful, that was like me looking at myself with grace and compassion was the newest thing that I had ever experienced. And it sounds so like simple, but until somebody was in front of me and I was listening and I was reading and I was like, oh yeah, like if there's nothing wrong with me, (laughs) then what's the problem? Like there's like, you know, like there's, if there's compassion for myself, there's a, there's worlds of energy. There's worlds of potential. And I didn't learn this. I didn't learn it until this naked mind. And Annie, I have done so many like self-help new agey, like things, like so many, you know, like I was, I, I don't even know if I want to call myself a seeker. Cause I've been like watching things about cults and it's really been like the psychology of mind control. Like I'm really like skeptical right now, but I have been seeking answers for my freedom. And that is, I'll, 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 quant, like, I'll, I'll call myself that, but I didn't alcohol free was like, oh yeah. Like I'm free, free. Like I've just been looking for that this whole time. So yeah, that's kind of what got me here. And then, you know, as you know, I, I consumed all the things I certified as a coach and now I coach for this naked mind and it's all beautiful. And kind of like flowers and blueberries and, and like happy life. Like I, I mean, and let me also see if you have any questions. Cause I kind of just like motored through that. Oh, that's great. Um, so good. Uh, how is your relationship with your mom? It's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. My mom just, I should actually send you a picture. She just turned 80 and she is my parents had me late. Um, my mom had me in 1984 when she was 42. So that was like a big deal in the eighties. Uh, and she's healthier than ever. She's been cancer free for almost 15 years. She just got back from Vegas cause she bowls. She's like a, a really good bowler. And she went with her like bowling championship team there to, to bowl. And then she just got back and she's full of life. I mean, she's, she's incredible. And we've had a tremendous amount of healing me, her and my sister over the last, you know, bunch of years of just like kind of processing our lives. Um, and you know, the world has changed a lot since that time. And I think we're all still catching up a bit and I'm, I'm so happy to be a part of this, this kind of, um, this growth is such a fast evolution in in like thinking and taking responsibility and being able to talk about our emotions. And, you know, my mom and my sister are, are learning that that's my language. That's not always their language and that I have to respect them. I can't like, my mom's like, I don't want to can process that with you right now. I'm like, she's like, I can't, I cannot process that memory. I'm like, great, great. Okay. Thank you. Like, it's not, it's, it's just, it's, and I, and I love that because I think 
for a long time, I was like, I need you to do this. And it's like, wait, 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 wait. Like, let's take a minute. Like, what is your perspective? And now I have that space in me to have that compassion. I, I mean, seriously, compassion is like, it's everything. As soon as I had it for myself, there was more space for everyone. So, and that was impossible when I was drinking, like drinking is an actual act of self-harm. It's the, it's a literal act of self-harm. Like, so it's just so clear to me now. Um, so I hope that anyone who's listening, you know, can hear that too. Like the less that we can harm ourselves, the more that we can make space for compassion. And then the actions that come from compassion are like fun and they're exciting you know, and they make you feel good and we deserve to feel really good. So, yeah. Yeah. Life should feel good. And I also think that it's worth saying that like, it is an act of self-harm, but it's done out of self-love. Yes, 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 yes. Which is so bizarre, right? Like, but just like, you know, we're just trying to survive with, like you said, if there was a movie made, it would be the logical outcome. Like it's, you're not going into this trying to mess everything up or, or sabotage yourself. I mean, we're, we're doing these things from a, like, if we look, if we strip back and we can have enough compassion for ourselves to look at our intention, mm. it, it's often um, that that intention was never, was never malintended, you know? Totally. Annie, that's really a very important point. Yes. When I, when I look at it now, I can see that, that, that it's harm, but I understand inside of it, that it, it was a tool for my survival for, mm-hmm. I have, I mean, it sounds weird to say, cause I don't really have respect for alcohol, but I do have respect for what I, I needed to learn that. Like yeah. we needed, we needed to learn that. I mean, it was such a clear, like medicine in that way. Like when I think about the way alcohol has been traditionally used, like as a medicine in some way to bring something out that needs to be healed. Right. And we just went on like a really long journey with it that took a while because it's so commodified and like the alcohol industry and all the things, but like, yeah, it's, um, have you, have you ever read the book, um, sacred contracts? Um, no, but sounds wonderful. It's pretty interesting. Somebody just recommended it to me and it's, it's very woo woo. Like, I mean, prepare for all the woo, but like it basically, the idea is that we just have contracts that um, are for our growth and you can't fail at them. You're just going to either choose the path of fear. You're going to choose the path of love and either way you're going to learn. So there's nothing that's wrong. Like there's nothing that's ever been wrong or can be wrong. It's just up to us if we're going to, you know, choose a path of fear, which is going to result in things being harder or choose a path of love, which will result in things being easier, but we're going to learn either way, you know? And it's almost like I had like a contract with alcohol. Like it was the thing, the tool that was going to teach me the things I needed to learn. Right. And so when I can see it through that lens of, um, and it gets all very, maybe tangential, but it might be fun to talk about it, but, but it has me thinking a lot about like this idea of like, okay, are we sort of predestined or do we have free will or where, where does that whole thing lay? And it's this idea of kind of both and that there is, you know, some sort of destiny that we actually choose for ourselves before we kind of 
come into material form when we're kind of in the quanta or whatever. And then also in that destiny, which is to learn, we still have choice. And that choice is simply which path are we going to take? And so it isn't that you ever, I, I like to think of it, I, I find it a very comforting image to think of a moving walkway where you, I imagine my kids when they were little at the airport on a moving walkway and they could even walk backwards or they could sit down and we're still getting where we're going, right? Like we're still being held, we're still being carried, you know, now it might take us longer, but it's all, it's all learning. And so anyway, the book actually talks a lot about, you know, just contracts in general, but also contracts with people. And so there's, you know, you might have a contract with somebody to be, if you need to learn self-love, you might have a contract with somebody who, who really belittles you. And, and that's kind of their role in your life so that you can access your, it's, it's just very, uh, it's a peaceful way, I think, of looking at a lot of relationships that can be hard or a lot of circumstances that could be hard in our lives. Yeah, I love that. I um, I love that. Yeah, I couldn't. I mean, I think too, it's hard. There, there must be something about the brain and maybe you know more about this than I do that like wants to be like, well, what did you learn? Like, now, what did you learn? Now, how did you grow? Now, show me now. And it's like, well, but if we're always learning brain, it's like, can we go, can we go a little easier here? Like, and so, and if, and, and, and that helps me too so much with other people, because to, you have to leave people alone a lot too, to know that, that they, that you trust their growth and you're just like, oh yeah, I trust, I trust your path. Like I, you know, and it's, that that can be the hardest thing for me sometimes is not getting in there and um especially like family or people I love when I can see what what it is and it's like the more that I let them figure it out and that's like something with coaching too obviously but is like the more that people find their way and that and that they and they figure it out and I think that's so beautiful so yeah yeah so um I wanted to ask you and I know we've talked about this a little bit but within you know being being sober, not being alcohol-free sort of within your community. How has that been socially for you? Yeah. It's like the best thing, um, ever. I feel like I, I'm a very excitable person. And if I get excited about something, people tend to get excited about it too. And so I've actually had quite a bit of, uh, I've had a big effect on people, in my lifestyle, that is really different than when I was in AA. And I mean, I have grown exponentially since then, like just as a, as an organism, as a human with the people that I've known, et cetera, but I'm so much more excited. I'm just like, Oh, let's go here and find out what they have. Or like my friend came over last night and I just have, I have so many beverages in my fridge that I'm so excited about. I, I make tonics and teas and I love beverages. So I think for me, I've been able to sort of be able to, because I was obviously kind of obsessed with alcohol. I mean, who isn't when they're drinking it all the time, but I'm sort of obsessed with beverages. So I, I was able to kind of really swap, but get, but swap for the better, obviously, because I'm so inspired. So I, I just get excited. And when it's not fun, like I leave like if I, if I get an intuitive hit, that's like, uh, this is like, they're repeating themselves or like, this is feeling a little dark or like, this is feeling like I maybe don't, I don't want to vibe with this. Like I go and it's great. 
because I feel like I, it's just me loving on myself and listening to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so socially, Annie, it's, it's been so much better. Like, oh my God, it's been so much better. I love uh, that. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Two more questions for you. Um, first of all, if people want to reach out to you and inquire about coaching, where can they find you? You can find me at a little thunder coaching.com. Um, also you can find me on Instagram as well. Um, at Soraya S O R A Y A underscore Arjan A R J A N. You'll find kind of all the things between a little thunder coaching com and at Soraya underscore Arjan. That's like kind of all my stuff, but we're also doing a, we're in the process of the queer coaches who are doing the uh, LGBTQIA live alcohol experiment with this naked mind. We are starting a tiny little collective called livingproudaf.com. That will also be connected to my Instagram and my link tree. Um, and I'm sure Annie will, will have some of that link somewhere, but if you want to find any of those individual coaches, from the live alcohol experiment, you can find us there. So that's livingproudaf.com. That's great. Yeah. And we'll link all of that stuff in the show notes. Um, and so Soraya, uh, if you were going to go back in time and, you know, talk to yourself who, and I really, I really like how you put it, how it was almost whenever there was a, a piece inside of you, that's like, oh, I can't do this. It was that that part of you was reaching for the drink, right? That part of you was like, oh, but I can if I do this, which again is is totally a natural human response. And um, but if you're going to go back to to that version of yourself and and tell them about what life is like now, what would you say? This version, this version that comes to me is like the thing that keeps coming to me because I've asked myself this question quite a bit. It's like it's like, keep on going. Like I'm here. You're going to find me keep going. Like nothing that you're doing is wrong. Like you are doing, you are trying to find me and you're going to find me and I'm going to be here. And it's going to be so much better than what it feels like right now. And I, and I, I trust you. That's what I would say. Oh my God. That's what I would say. I trust you. I believe you. I'm here. I'm waiting. So good. So yeah. Good. Awesome. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for your time. It's just been really incredible. Thank you so much, Annie. Such a pleasure to be here and be able to like do the full circle with you and be able to tell you how much I love you and how grateful I am. And thank God you were in that hypothetical church basement that I found, like you were there, like I found you. And so thank God. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you're ready to see how this naked mind can help you on your personal health and wellness journey and want to learn more, go to thisnakedmindpodcast.com to learn what your next best step is. Again, that's thisnakedmindpodcast.com. We have all of our free resources, programs, social links, and more available for you there. Plus, if you have your own naked life story to share, you can submit it there as well. Until next week, stay curious.